0: We're right in the middle of a study of the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus and surrounding communities. Paul was a guy who actually persecuted Christians, uh, but then he met Jesus and he became a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. And after starting to proclaim Christ, he went to Ephesus where he preached the gospel. It said, till all the residents of Asia heard the word of the lord and so he stayed there preaching for years until he departed and now he's writing from rome while he's in prison to encourage the christians in ephesus to live for jesus christ to live for christ in a world that is full of idols full of temptations full of distractions to live for christ and the way that he does this is by first reminding them what is true what is true of them, of their security in Christ, but also where they came from. And he does that in the first part of Ephesians 2, and he does that again in the second part of Ephesians 2. And so let's read together Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 22. It's page 976 in the Red Bible. It starts on that. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the church that you have died for, that you have loved, that you have laid down your life for. Lord, I confess, I often take for granted what you have given to us in and through the church, Lord, and God, pray this morning we would be awakened to the beauty of your church. We love you, and we praise pray this in Christ's name, amen. Many of you know uh, the Vasilievs. Where are they? Alex and Galena Vasiliev. Are they in here? there's Galena. They came from Moldova about 10 years ago to Green Bay, and they came in the middle of December. And so Alex gets here. He was telling me the story. He he gets here, and he has on his suit and tie, and he's going to work, and he's riding the bus to get to work because he doesn't have a car. And so he's on the bus in a suit and tie, and everyone else is wearing the exact same outfit, not like him. But they're all wearing the same outfit, and what they're wearing are jeans And a green coat with a big G on it. And uh, for Alex, he has no idea what this means. He thinks it's G season or that this is like a Tommy Hilfiger thing, like a big G, and he's not exactly sure what it means. But what he found out very quickly is that if you live in Green Bay, if you grew up in Wisconsin, the expectation is that you would be a fan of the Green Bay Packers, right? And, we, and the reason why is because it's all around us. You know, if we look at the news, it's on the news. The Packers, if TV, sports coverage, it's in the newspaper. I mean, I don't know if there's a day that goes by where the Packers isn't on the front of the, the newspaper somewhere, somehow. The Packers are all around us. And the expectation is, if you grow up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, or in West Wisconsin in general, you will be a Packers fan, right? Well, It's a very similar situation with the Israelites. The Israelites were expected to become fans of the Lord God, to worship the Lord God, because they were raised in a community where God was spoken of, where God was talked about. God gave all these regulations in the Old Testament to point to Himself. They had to eat certain foods. They had to wear funny clothes with tassels. And they didn't have the letter G unless it stood for God. But they had funny clothes and all these things just to point to God. And so the expectation for the Israelites is that they would worship the Lord God. Now, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and the Ephesians are not Israelites. The Ephesians are what he calls Gentiles. Basically, what a Gentile is, is a non-Israelite. And so all of us in here, I believe, are Gentiles. And he's writing to Gentile Christians to show what God has done, how God has save them and reconcile them, even though they were outside this community where God was talked about. In Ephesus, Paul tells them that God had done an amazing thing in rescuing them from their sin because they were outside the covenant community. They were in a a community that's described here in verse 12. Look in verse 12 with me if you would. This is the type the type of community that the Gentiles were in, that the ephesians were in that they were separated from christ that they were alienated from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenant of promise and so god made these covenants these promises with the people that he would send a savior that he would always be their god and they would always be his people but they grew up in an atmosphere where that was never taught it was completely foreign to them and so the expectation was that they would never know the lord god He goes on to say that they were having no hope and without God in the world. They had no assurance of God's love and God's redemption. This was completely unknown to them. You know, this is the case for all who do not know Christ. All who do not know Christ are without hope and without God in the world. And so this message is to all of us. God, Paul reminding us of what God has done twice in just verse 11 and 12. He says, remember, remember what you were and remember what God has done. And in verse 13, he says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, which was all of us apart from Christ, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, have been brought near, meaning you've been brought into intimacy And so what have we been brought near to? And we're going to see two things here. Paul says that we have been brought near to the people of God, and we have been brought near to the person of God. And the end goal of it is that we would become the place of God as his church. And so let's start by looking at being brought near to the people of God. Look with me in verse 14 if you would. It says, For he himself, being Jesus, is our peace who has made us both being Jews and Gentiles one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility. Uh, Commentators aren't sure what Paul is talking about here, but they're all pretty certain that they think that he's talking about the Jewish temple. If you see here, and I get to use my laser pointer today, this is really cool. Um, This is the the Jewish temple at the time, which was where the people of God gathered to worship God. And here you have, this is called the holy place. Um, This is where the priests worked. This is where the Israelites worshiped in here. Um, And then out here, uh, there's some steps coming down. I don't, right there you see some steps. But then this wall right here is a dividing barrier. And outside of this, there's more court there. And that's where the Gentiles worshipped. And what Paul is saying is that this was a dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was a wall that was filled with arrogance for the Jews, that they were God's people, but the Gentiles weren't, and so that they belonged out there while the Jews were allowed to come in. On this wall, there was actually inscriptions, both in Greek and in Latin, that would say, if you come into this court unauthorized, You only have yourself to blame for your own death. And so, you know, you've seen signs, trespassers will be prosecuted, right? This is trespassers will die. And you only have yourself to blame. And so this wall was a dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and Gentiles. And really, it was just exactly what their cultures were like. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't like the Jews. And this wall just kind of accentuated that. Now, Paul knew the hostility of this wall firsthand. In Acts, uh, I believe it's 21, Paul comes in here into the temple, and I'm not sure where he was. He might have been in here. And he came in with a guy who was a stranger to people. Um, and people in the temple knew that Paul was a friend of Gentiles. And so Paul brings this man in. Everybody's assuming that this guy Paul brought in was a Gentile, which is a huge no no. And so the people actually beat Paul. <laughs> God loves you. Bam, right. They're beating Paul. They drag him outside the temple and they continue to beat him because they want to, kill him, because they think he has brought a Gentile into these courts. And so it was a dividing wall of hostility. He ends up getting rescued by Roman soldiers and goes through a long journey where he ends up in a Roman prison, which is how he uh, where he was when he wrote this letter. But there's the dividing wall of hostility that he talks about between the Jews and the Gentiles. In, uh, in 1961, the Berlin Wall was constructed as a symbol of division. It divided people. It divided ideologies. It was also a symbol of hostility because there was nuclear arms race between the Soviet Union and between the U.S. And so this wall stood there, and in 1987, President Ronald Reagan went there and many of you probably remember his speech. It actually was not very famous at the time, but became more famous later. And he stood at the Brandenburg Gate at the Berlin Wall, and he made an announcement, or he made a speech, and asking President Gorbachev to end the hostility, to put away the nuclear arms. And the most famous part of the speech goes like this: He said, "There is one sign the Soviets can make that would unmistakable that would be unmistakable." that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The wall was a sign of hostility between the communist countries and the rest of the free world. And he says, tear down this wall. And several months later, 29 months later, not because of Reagan, but because of a lot of different things, the East German protesters rioted and they opened up the wall and just started to dismantle it. That there could now be this peace between the countries, which is not completely peaceful, but that was the point of it. And what we learn here is that Paul said that Jesus takes down the dividing wall of hostility. And so there's no longer Jew and Gentile. There is only one man. There is only one church, and it is founded in Jesus Christ. This was so important to the Christians in the early church because the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles was so great. They actually called themselves the third race. They weren't Jews. They weren't Gentiles. They were the new Israel. They were the church. They were Christians. And so we see God brings us near to the people of God through Christ. I think we still have a lot of these issues in the church today, and I'm guilty of it. Uh, I know parents will often uh, share about how disappointed they are that there are cliques in the church that or, or clicks in the school that kids um, will fence off other kids and will isolate kids and they'll all gravitate to people that are like them. And I think the reason why they do this is because they learn it at home. <laughs> they learn it at home because the people that we have into our house, the people that we have into our lives conform to our brand of Christianity, conform to our brand of life. We have people into our homes that are like us. And what Paul says here is that you are one in Jesus Christ, in the church. And so there is not Jew or Gentile. There is not Presbyterian or Pentecostal. There is not woman or man. There is not Republican or Democrat. It is one church. And while we have distinctions and while we are not expected to see eye to eye on everything, we have far more in common than we have different And he says, you are one in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died to bring us near to the people of God. And so maybe there are people in your past, people from other churches or this church, where there is frustration between you and them. There is hostility. Christ didn't die for that. Christ died to bring the church together. Maybe there is someone you need to go and talk to because of what Christ has done and say, listen, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, but we need to talk this out because we are one in Jesus Christ. This is what happens here through Christ. We are brought near to the people of God. We also see that not only are we brought near to the people of God, but we are brought near to the person of God. And a matter of fact, because we are brought near to the person of God, is the same reason that we can be brought near to the people of God. Let me read here verse 14, and then I'll explain it a little bit. Verse 14, again, which we just read. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law. This is how he did it. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so what Paul is saying here is there's hostility between Jews and between Gentiles. And this hostility has been broken because Jesus Christ on the cross broke the hostility between us and God. And because Christ has killed the hostility between us and God, we can now live at peace with brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church. And so Paul says this is now who we are. We are united to Christ. We are united to each other. There is to be no longer hostility. One of the interesting things here he says is that the way that Jesus Christ joins us to one another, the way that Jesus Christ created peace was by abolishing the law and commandments. Now what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus abolished the law? Well, he's talking about the law of the Old Testament, which was before Jesus, which was summarized by the Ten Commandments. I think most of us are very very familiar with those. But that would be the summary of the law that Jesus is talking about. And he says that Christ has abolished the law. What does that mean? Does that mean that we no longer should love God, that we should no longer love each other, that we should no longer not steal and not cheat? The law is good. Um, that's, That's said throughout Scripture. David talks about it being as sweet as honey, more precious than pure gold. And so what does it mean that Jesus abolished the law? It's not that we no longer obey it, but it no longer condemns us. You see, in the temple, there was actually a greater wall of hostility, a greater division of hostility than the Jew and Gentile one. Do we have it up there? Can you put up? There we go. Right here, this is the holy place. And this is in the middle of the temple. And right here, there's a curtain. And the curtain, which you can see is massive. This is a person there. It's really tall, really wide. Inside there was what was called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies were two things. One was the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And it was a reminder to the people that they could not enter God's presence because of their sin and because of his holiness. The other thing that was in there was God himself. He was in there. His presence was in the Holy of Holies. And so it was so forbidden for people to go to this place that only the high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies after sacrifice, making sacrifice for his whole family. And when he went in, they would tie a rope to his ankle so that if he died in the presence of... Of a holy and just God, they could pull him out and bury him. And so this play, this curtain here, was a dividing wall of hostility, not between Jews and Gentiles, but between sinners and the God of the universe. And as we read through the scriptures, one of the amazing things we see is what happens at the cross. Mark fifteen thirty-seven through thirty-eight says this: While Jesus is on the cross, this is what happened. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. He died. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And so you see the curtain here. This curtain is huge, right? I mean, it's really tall, really wide, but it was also thick. This curtain was six inches thick. I mean, that's it's a big curtain. And it was torn in two. When Jesus died on the cross what did this show us it showed us that previously a God who was hostile to sinners now gave access to sinners that God's hostility towards our sin which is seen in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament God's hostility towards our sin was satisfied at the cross so that we could now have access to the God of the universe. It's not that we could just go see him once a year if we were a high priest with a bunch of animal sacrifices. We get to have access to God continuously because of one sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who paid for the hostility God had, his justice towards our sin. And so because this greater barrier of hostility was broken by christ because we were brought near to the person of god we are now brought near to the people of god verse 17 goes on to talk about this access that we have to god it says and he came being jesus and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near so both the gentiles and to jews for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father If you're here today and you do not trust in Jesus Christ, this curtain of hostility still remains. You can have no relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the death of Jesus Christ. But if you are here and you trust in Christ that He took the hostility of God towards your sin and paid for it in full on the cross, then we now have access to the God of the universe continuously. And this means that God is always for you. He is never against you because of what Christ has done in bringing us near to God. And so we see that the blood of Jesus has brought us near to the person of God, brought us near to the people of God, but it has also built us into the place of God. In verses 19 through 22, Paul goes in to talk about The church and christians inside the church and lays out a couple of illustrations three illustrations mainly to explain the relationship between a christian and the church first illustration he uses is that we are citizens of a kingdom verse 19 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens remember that's what they were before christ but you are fellow citizens with the saints And so Jews and Gentiles had a completely different citizenship. But what is being said here is that there is a new citizenship. There is a third citizenship. It is one as a child of God, one who has citizenship in heaven with God. It's not that we are primarily citizens of America. It's not that they're primarily citizens of Israel. It's that they were citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of God's presence. And so they were citizens of a kingdom. The church is citizens of a kingdom. The church is also members of a household, as it says there in the second part of 19. And so it's not that we're just these distant citizens that are part of this nation, but we are also members of a household. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is actually one reason why we put so much emphasis or encourage people to go to community groups. I know that not everybody can do it, but community groups is a place where we can be a family. A family doesn't just come together one hour a week to worship. A family does life together. Recently, a, a woman in the, in the congregation told me, she said, I have never felt connected to Jacob's Well until I finally connected to a community group. Because we're family. We do life together. Together. And so we see we are members of a household. And finally, and Paul spends the most time on this one, he says, We are stones of a temple. Paul gives the most detail about this specific one because it's so glorious and amazing. First, he lays out the foundation of this temple. In verse 20, he says, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so the teachings of the apostles and the prophets is what he's speaking of here. But then Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You know, if you want a durable house, if you want a house that will withstand earthquakes, withstand typhoons, what you need is a solid foundation. And what Paul is saying here is that we have a solid foundation. It is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And this is what the temple of Christ church is built upon. He goes on, to talk about the walls, if you can picture this. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. But then the walls are being built. Verse 21, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also were being built together. And so the walls of this temple are you and me. It's Christians throughout all history laid upon the foundation of the scriptures and Jesus Christ. And God is building this temple, and it's not done. It's growing. And so that is the walls of the temple. But finally, we see there is a content of the t- temple. There is something inside the temple, inside the church of Jesus Christ. And here it is in verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You remember earlier, we talked about how the Spirit of God was in the Holy of Holies. That's where God reigned. And we had no access to Him because we were sinners. But now, through the blood of Christ, through Christ's death on our behalf, not only do we have access to God, but God now dwells in us, in his church. And so the God that dwelt in the holy of holies now dwells in the chief of sinners because of the blood of Christ. It's glorious. You know, in Green Bay, we don't have many folks that are unchurched, who never grew up in the church or never went into the church. We have lots of folks that are de-churched. People who went to church and were kind of like, man, is the church really all that important? I mean, really... What's the point of going to church? But right here, Paul says church is the dwelling place of God. God dwells in his people together corporately. And so what we learn is that church is something that is very important. And by church, I don't just mean gathering on Sunday mornings. I mean, it's a community of believers, which which really the pinnacle of it is meeting Sunday morning to worship God. Um, there was a, a couple of months ago, you remember I told you about how anyone who grows up in Green Bay is expected to be a Packers fan. Well, there's long shot Packers fans. This is, this is what I mean. I got an email a few months ago from a friend of mine named Chris Vogel, and he said, hey, there's a guy down at Covenant Seminary. He really wants to go to a Packers game with his brother. Can you get tickets? And so I called people who got Packers tickets, and we got him some, and he came up. While we were tailgating before the game, uh, I asked him, his name's Andrew. I said, Andrew, how did you become a Packers fan? I mean, did, did, you have, did your parents grow up in Wisconsin, or do you have friends or family in Wisconsin? How did you become a Packers fan? And he said, no, no, it was, it was none of those things. He said, what happened is when I was in elementary school, my mom went to buy a coat. And uh, I was in North Carolina. And she did not like the colors of the Carolina Panthers. But she did like the colors of the Green Bay Packers. And so she brought a, bought a coat for me of the Green Bay Packers. And so I wore it to school and I had to defend to all my friends, why was I wearing this? It's because I'm a fan of the Packers. There was no reason to believe that this kid in North Carolina would somehow become a Packers fan. But because his mommy likes green and gold better than black and turquoise, he became a Packers fan. He was a long shot to become a Packers fan because he wasn't raised in a community of people that loved the Packers. This is what Paul said was the case for the Gentiles. They were long shots to know the God of the universe, and yet God loves long shots. God loves all of us. All of us are long shots for knowing the God of the universe. And He says that He comes to those long shots, people like us, Gentiles, and He brings us near to the people of God. He brings us near to the person of God. But then He forms us into the place of God, His church. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that You did not Leave us afar, but you drew us near through this through your son Jesus Christ. you brought us into intimacy with him. We're so thankful God. we know that we were long shots because we rebelled against you in our sin but you by your grace drew us near to yourself. We are so thankful. we praise you for your grace in Christ's name. amen. First Corinthians 11:23 in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we come to the Lord's table, it is for those who are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And you are only a part of the church if you trust in Jesus Christ, that he had taken the place for your sins, that God had carried out the hostility towards your sin on Christ. If you're here today and you trust in Jesus Christ, we'd encourage you to take and eat and be nourished by the body and blood of Christ. But if you're here today and you're not sure if you trust in Jesus Christ, we would encourage you to wait, to not take of it. Because you are, we are told in scriptures that you will be judged more harshly by God. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're checking out who Jesus is. But this isn't for you. This is for God's church, God's people. And so we will take these and we will pass them around, grab the bread, hold on to it. Grape juice will come by, grab one of those and we will take together. Be nourished.